Welcome to Real Financial Planning, broadcast on WKXL, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, joined as always by Mike Morton, the owner of Morton Financial Advice, the host of Financial Planning for Entrepreneurs, the temporarily named podcast, the Mike Morton podcast, that is always in search of a better name. I think we should just make this our white whale quest. Someday, we will rename Mike Morton's podcast. You know what? If you've got ideas for what to rename the Mike Morton podcast, and like real ideas, like not- um, <laughs> White whale. For for initials are IP, last name is Freely. I, I don't want suggestions like that. White whale, there you go. I don't want suggestions <laughs> like that. If you have suggestions, you can email. Where can people email you, Mike? Financialplanningpod at gmail.com. Or you can post serious suggestions on the Beyond Politics with Paul Hodes and Matt Robeson Facebook page. By the way, that email and that Facebook is also where we get questions. We get some really good listener questions, and we've got a good one this week from someone with a lot of money lying around. Now, I <laughs> a don't. Good problem to have. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not dissing our listeners who, who submit questions. I, I'm envious. I wish I had a lot of extra money lying around. I don't. But this person does, and this person had a question: Should I put extra money toward paying down my mortgage? Mike Morton, should this person put extra money toward paying down their mortgage? It's funny, Matt. I get this question from quite a few clients, and it's not necessarily like extra money. We all wish we found some extra thousands of dollars in the couch cushions. I get this question that, hey, you know, out of my cash flow, I'm already doing some savings, you know, for retirement or education, college savings. And there's a lot of articles online, you know, that are recommending paying down your mortgage. You know, you can easily find articles that say, if you add just one extra payment a year, either by spreading it out one twelfth of your payment each month, or just at the end of the year, throw in one more extra payment, you can really reduce the number of years on your 30 year mortgage, maybe down to 27, 25 years, just by making that one extra payment and saving on all that interest. So there's a lot of articles encouraging that. So the question comes up a lot, should I make extra payments towards my mortgage? And like anything else, this is not financial advice even though that might be in the, the title of the podcast. Um, what it is depends. it then? <laughs> this, this, this is not personal advice. Gotcha. But here's some ideas to consider. Yeah, it's like Miss Cleo. It's, this is for entertainment purposes only. I'm not That's telling right. you your future. But, but. Like, so she went to federal prison. That's not going to happen to you. <laughs> I don't do think. that. But actually, let me hear what you have to say first. Exactly. So like everything else, it all depends, Matt. There's a variety of factors that come into play here. But I will start off with this. Generally, I'm not the biggest fan of this. I'm not the biggest fan of putting extra money towards your mortgage. And there's a few reasons why, of course, we'll get into. But the biggest would be, well, just in the past few years, mortgage rates have been extremely low. Many of my clients have refinanced a couple times as mortgage rates uh, came down over the last five years. And now they're sitting on a right around 3% mortgage rate. And at that kind of rate, it's uh, probably a pretty good idea to just borrow that amount of money and make the required payments, but not make extra payments. So generally, I'm not really a fan uh, of making extra payments towards your mortgage. Got it. So why why would you think about doing that? Besides the fact that this thing is hanging over your head. I mean, I hate it. I, yeah. I hate having that hanging over one's head. I hate the student loan thing hanging over one's head. I'm not complaining, right? But I just don't like, look, I didn't like school 
because I didn't like homework. I didn't like things hanging <laughs> over my head. I'm an inbox kind of guy. It's like, I got to do this. That's the way I organize everything. I was late joining you because I was going through my to-do list. And I was like, look, I've got this in my inbox. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to send it out of my outbox. That's the way I operate. I just hate having huge debts hanging over me. Not that anyone loves that. And what's also super depressing is if you look at your mortgage and you look at your projected payments, you could do this with your student loans as well. But I suggest that you make some homemade Prozac first, which is basically just gin and ice cream, <laughs> because it's really depressing how much total money you're going to pay because you accrue all this interest. You're not even, when you pay down a mortgage, like 80% of your payment is going toward interest at first. Very little is going toward actually paying down the principal. So I do see the logic of the faster you get into paying down that principal, the less of that interest you're, you're accruing. That does feel good. So is that the argument for doing it? Well, there's a few arguments to, for doing it, but I like what you brought up there in terms of the way that it makes you feel. And I know many examples where even financial advisors, financial planners, people that understand all the ins and outs of the math still pay off their mortgage because they feel great and they make the last payment and they say, well, I know the math wasn't in my favor, but I just feel so good. This was one of the best money decisions I made. So for those people that really you know, do not like, Jesus is 30 years, gosh, 80% of this is going towards interest, I really want to get ahead here, I do not want to be paying this off when I'm 70, then the sleep at night factor, the feeling great factor, uh, really trumps a lot of other things in my opinion. And that's what I say to clients and friends all the time is, if it's going to make you feel really good, then go for it. There's not potentially a lot of downsides to adding extra payments to your mortgage. So if it's going to make you feel great by paying that off, uh, there's many examples where people went through that and said, yes, it did make me feel great. Uh, and so I have pretty high confidence that if you're on that track, uh, keep going that way. Go ahead and, and keep paying it down. Get it paid off so that the sleep at night, the feeling good is really going to work work for you. There is a math argument, though, that... And we've gone through this before when we talked about the topic of how rich people have all of their money tied up in investments and market and equity and companies, whatever it is. Like your Jeff Bezos, you don't – what was the Simpsons line like about their Arnold Schwarzenegger knockoff? It's like someone asked him, how do you sleep at night? And he says, on a pile of money with many beautiful ladies. So – it's not like Jeff Bezos <laughs> sleeps at night on a literal pile of money. Like, all of his money is tied up. So how does it work? He borrows money at a certain rate, and then his investments earn more than that. And so it actually pays off. It, it, it pays him money to borrow, as insane as that sounds. And you had pointed out on a previous episode that actually the rest of us can do this as well if you're invested and your rate of return is higher than you're borrowing. So I guess there is, there's the argument for letting your mortgage just spool along is that there is an arbitrage, to use a big word there, to be had there of if you're earning more in the market, you're better off keeping your money in the market and paying the interest, on the other hand, on your remaining loans because you're earning more than you're building up in interest costs. But dang, that's, I don't know, it feels fraught. Is that, so that's, that's the <laughs> idea that people generally argue is that don't do it because 
as a math matter, you're coming out ahead. That's exactly right. So most people have one mortgage and the rich have two <laughs> or more. <laughs> okay. And so to exactly your point, that's true because when you can take the longer view, so you're exactly right. If I can borrow at 3%, which is my mortgage, maybe 4%, we can talk about rates going up. They're currently you know, around 5%. And that does change the math, okay? But if you could borrow at 3 or 4% and the long-term historical average of the stock market's 8 9 10%, that's a no-brainer, right? Now, the downside, of course, is that's long-term. So if you can take a long-term view, 10, 20, 30 years, and invest that $1,000 versus putting it towards your mortgage, then you're pretty, I think, pretty likely to come out ahead, taking a long-term historical view of the stock market, 8 9 10% versus it only costs you 3% to borrow it. So the lower your mortgage rate, the more confident you might be in investing that money for the long term. So there's a couple of comments there. One, why can the rich do this more easily? Because they have more cushion. Mm. They have more available. They've already got their emergency savings. They know they have plenty of flexibility, whereas the rest of us are still building up emergency savings, retirement savings, college savings. And so we can't necessarily be as risky or take that five years. The stock market might go down or flat for five years. Will you stay invested? Can you ride it out? Those are the kind of questions you got to think ahead. And that's what we said earlier. Hey, paying down your mortgage feels good because it's locked in. It's getting done. And so that feels really good to have that safety and security. But in terms of pure math, that's exactly the way it works, Matt. If you can get a higher return over you know, a period of time than what your borrowing costs are, then of course, mathematically, you're going to come out ahead. Well, it's a really good point you raise about like, well, compared to what? Like if you have the ability to add another mortgage payment, you're not just considering that in a vacuum, right? So it's like whatever your mortgage payment is, I don't know. Let's just say it's 2000 bucks. Just mm -hmm. to have a number. So you have 2000 bucks available. You, what are the other things you could do with that? And, and you brought up one, which is, well, do you actually have enough emergency savings? Do you have enough in your checking account to handle an unexpected uh, expense? What about, I mean, here's a question. You've said this on the show before, and this is like, look, you give a lot of really insightful financial advice. This is one you could get virtually anywhere. But like, what if you have credit card debt, right? Much higher interest rate. I mean, maybe you should pay that off first, right? I mean, so is there kind of a checklist you should go through first to, to before you consider this? Oh, yeah, there's definitely a checklist. So we have done an episode, Matt, on that account funding priority. And you definitely pay down your credit cards uh, debt first, any high interest debt. And so let's talk about it in this way. So it's not a vacuum, right? So your mortgage might be 3 or 4%, might be 5%, might be more. Your credit card debt might be 12%. Your uh, student loan debt might be 6, 7, 8%, okay? And so if I'm thinking about a student loan at 8%, Okay, if I pay some of that off, I take an extra $1,000 and put it towards that student debt, I'm getting a guaranteed 8% return because I'm going to either pay the 8% if I let it ride for another year, or I'm going to pay it off and save myself that 8% interest. And so that's the way you want to think about your mortgage. If you have a 4% mortgage and you put an extra $1,000 towards it, you get a guaranteed 4% return on that $1,000, which is pretty good, like a guaranteed return. So in other words, 
here's the point. Don't if you're gonna not pay towards your mortgage and have some extra money at 500 bucks a month, uh, instead of you say, oh, listen to your episode, you're right, I'm gonna stop making an extra $500 payment towards my mortgage. Don't just leave the $500 in your checking or savings account making almost nothing because you were saving three, 4% every time you paid that off, okay? So you can't just let it build up in cash either because you're not gonna get that long-term return and get mathematically come out ahead in 20 years from now. Look, since you introduced some numbers into this, I think we should go there. And this is a segment where, you know, you could call it, let's do the math. Now, if you're the kind of podcast listener who does not want to hear any numbers, first of all, why are you listening to this show? I mean, it's because we're so entertaining. We don't really Sorry. just talk about finance. But um, you, you could fast forward for like one minute here, but you had a little example. I thought that was just a really interesting comparison that that you had worked up about looking at, well, what is an, what's an investment payoff in your house versus an investment payoff in the stock market? Really interesting. So right. if you don't want to hear this, fast forward. No, you definitely want to hear this. All right, hear it. You definitely hear want it. to hear this because the numbers are really simple. And I get this a lot too, Matt. So I thought I'd throw in this episode. To be honest, up front here, it's not an exact comparison to what we're talking about. I'm not comparing putting a thousand against your mortgage versus putting a thousand in the stock market, what's the potential return? Because that has a borrowing cost. And I don't right. know if 3% mortgage, 4%. It's 5%. illustrated. What I'm going to tell you here is this. This is a, an example of, let's say we buy a house in 1995 hmm. for $73,000. And 20 years later, in 2015, we sell it for $460,000. Everyone's heard this story, right? Oh yeah, I can't believe you got that house for like 75,000 bucks. It's worth like half a million now. That's fantastic. That's about six, almost six and a half times your money, 6.3 times your money. So you paid for the house just outright. You didn't get any mortgage and then you sold it 20 years later and you got 6.3 times your money, which is amazing. Instead, I looked up the stock market during that exact same time period, okay? And if you put money in the stock market in 1995 and then sold it in 2015, you would have gotten 6.5 times your money. Right. Slightly higher. Slightly higher. And, oh, by the way, Matt, houses cost money. Maybe some upkeep, property taxes, right? Those kinds of things. Uh, whereas the stock market, you just put some money in there and you don't have to think about it whatsoever. So that's the funny thing about the way our minds work is that you hear all these great stories about, oh, I can't believe the house was so cheap. I can't believe how much they're worth now. But you skip over 20 years, 30 years. And the stock market also chugs along really nicely during those times. So that's just illustrating that instead of making those extra payments towards your house, you can put it in the stock market. And if you get that 20, 30 year return, um, you can be doing pretty well. So that kind of speaks to sort of the mental, the mental threshold test here, which is just kind of check yourself on the way you're thinking about this. You might be thinking about this as, you know, some kind of a paying proposition, a payoff proposition. And you just have to remember what the historic returns are in the stock market. And again, it's it's a matter of compared to what it, it does. That, yeah, yeah. Oh, let go. me yeah let me pause you on that too because lots of people have that, and this example is illustrative of that. Housing typically is not as lucrative as the stock market. Mm. Well, you've said on this show before, don't even treat your house like an investment anyway, right? 
Yeah. There's that, your own personal house. But I'm just saying even as an investment, oh, I could take $10,000 and invest it in some, some property or I can invest it in the stock market. Now, in, in general, when we're talking about diversified portfolios, I like a little of both of those okay, types of investments. But real estate doesn't do quite as well as pure kind of companies. So just think about that as well and know that like, hey, investing in companies, I had the potential for a little higher return over long periods than I do in real estate. Well, and look, if you are sitting around and doing the math and to project, you know, here's 2000 bucks. What am I going to do with it? What's my, you know, what, what's the, where am I going to get like the best return on this? Is it paying off this debt? Is it paying off that debt? Is a factor in there, if you're going to sit around and do the math or, hey, do some math for me, is, is a factor in there bearing in mind that there is a mortgage interest deduction on your taxes. There's a student loan interest deduction on your taxes. So what you think you're accruing an interest, you are accruing an interest, but there's a little bit of a clawback on that, right? Yeah, that's, again, that's why the, the most of us have one mortgage and the rich have two, because you have all the deductions and depreciation. And when I was just, and really, Matt, it gets very complicated. So I don't recommend really trying to get in the details of that unless you're at a certain wealth point that it's like, hey, we're investing hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in these different areas and what are deductions. And this is where I mentioned real estate doesn't typically appreciate as well as the stock market. However, everyone's got stories of, of people they know that invest in real estate, right? Single family homes, apartment buildings that you can get wealthy through um, property investing. And that's absolutely the case. And that has a lot to do with taxes, depreciation, interest, all kinds of things. But also recognize those people put in a ton of effort and work. So it's not just, oh, they just invested $5,000 and check in a few years like your 401k. They're putting in tons of work. And I do recommend if you're interested in that, that is a fantastic way of building wealth. But that's not really what we're talking about here today. Well, I think that brings everything then full circle. And, and maybe we should wrap on this point, which is you started by saying it really matters what makes you sleep best at night, what makes you feel best. That's what retirement savings, that's what your savings are for, is to afford the thing you want and to, to feel confident and secure and good. So ultimately, the math on this is pretty complicated. It does come down to what gives you that peace of mind. Yeah, and there's a few other points just to throw in there as you're thinking about the trade-offs. Flexibility, you can add more to the payments and then stop. And that's always nice. Keep a 30-year rather than go into a 20-year or 15-year mortgage because you can always add more money. And if at some point in the future you can't or don't want to, you can always stop the extra payments. That's good. I do like it in terms of forced savings. So sometimes having, taking more, paying more towards your mortgage or even reducing the number of years to 20 years or 15 years and you have to pay more means you're forced to live on whatever's left over. So that can be a really good mechanism. So there's some pros and cons uh, to the different approaches, but it's just think it through and think about what makes sense for you. Great advice as always. Mike Morton, Morton Financial Advice. Thanks so much. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for joining us on Financial Planning for Entrepreneurs. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to and rate the podcast on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can connect with me at LinkedIn or MortonFinancialAdvice.com. I'd love to get your feedback. If you have a comment or question, please email me at FinancialPlanningPod at gmail.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered for investment advice.
Opinions expressed as are of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. We do not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of the data presented here.